This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, let's pray together. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for the times when your grace has ceased to amaze us, the times when we've taken your amazing grace for granted. We pray that you would help us not to become overly familiar with our salvation, with the grace that we have received. We pray that you would, you would help us to continue to be blown away by your love, your goodness, your mercy, your compassion, and your grace toward us. And we pray that you would help us to be extenders of your grace, your love, your compassion to others. Use this text to teach us that very thing today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 14. We started Luke 14 last week as part of our series, Taste and See, as we're walking through the ministry of Jesus with the background of many of these texts that have meals as sort of the uh, the background to it. And so last week, we looked at verses 1 through 11 in Luke 14. And today, we're just going to continue that. Jesus told a parable last week in that opening part of the 14th chapter, and he, he's going to tell another parable today in the same setting, the parable of the great banquet, Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look this morning at verses 12 through 24, you are invited, Luke 14 and beginning with verse 12, let's look at it together, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry And said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. 
And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey uh, tells about a feast that happened at the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston in June of 1990. And it was a party like that hotel had never seen. The series of events began some months earlier when a a bride and groom who were engaged came in to to plan their their wedding banquet. And so this was sort of a high-flying couple, and they just wanted this incredibly opulent, over-the-top event. And so they picked out the most gourmet meal, the most fine china, the band. I mean, everything was amazing. Finally, the the final bill was going to come to... $13,000, and that was 25 years ago, you know, so you could double that um, today. And so uh, they signed a contract, and the bride made a down payment for half that amount. On the day that the wedding announcements were to be mailed, the groom backed out of the wedding. And his jilted fiance went back to the hotel and talked to the events manager, and she was informed that the contract was binding and that she could get like $1,300 back. But the events manager said, You know, honey, I. I feel for you, but you know you can forfeit the rest of the down payment or you can just cancel the event. And the jilted bride thought about it, and then kind of a wild and crazy idea came to her mind. Ten years before, this woman had been homeless. And she had gotten herself back on her feet and got a great job. And she thought, we're not going to cancel this. This is going to be a different kind of banquet. And we're going to use this night to bless some people who were, who were in the same condition that I was in 10 years ago. And so she sent out invitations to, uh, to, to rescue missions and homeless shelters all over town. And on that night in June 1990, people who were used to eating scraps out of dumpsters were served hors d'oeuvres by waiters in tuxedos. She had changed the menu slightly. The entree for the night in honor of her former fiancé was boneless chicken. After the boneless chicken, they ate wedding cake, they had a big band playing and they, they, they danced to big band, big band sounds on into the night. It was amazing. 
I don't know if that woman had ever read Luke 14, but the similarities are striking. So what do we, what do we see here in this teaching of Jesus and in this parable that he tells of the great banquet? Well, first of all, we see a feast filled with grace. Let's go back to verses 12 through 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, the context here is that Jesus has just told a parable. If you were here last week, you know that uh, this is a setup. You know, they've invited Jesus. The Pharisees have invited Jesus to this meal to entrap him. And of course, he's on to their plan from moment one. And so last week, in verses one through 11, we see that Jesus addresses the guests who were there and tells a parable to them. And now Jesus turns his attention to the host. And verse 12 says that he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now in the original, it's clear that that Jesus is not, saying that you have to exclude your relatives or your friends um, when showing hospitality. What he is saying is that hospitality should not be limited to those who are within your circle or limited to those who can pay you back. But he says in verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Now, in that culture the people who were in those categories, it was assumed by people who were supposedly pious, good, religious folk, it was assumed that people in those categories had done something to deserve their lot in life. People like the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, they were excluded from temple worship. In fact, at Qumran, which is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, very pious religious community that lived there, people in those categories weren't even allowed on the premises. Jesus says, those are the people you want to have into your home. And he says in verse 14, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, the principle of God's blessing on generosity toward the less fortunate is something that is throughout the Bible. We would be here all day if we looked at every text on it. Um, We're just going to look at a few verses from the book of Proverbs. The Bible says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14.31, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. 1917, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 21:13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. 
22.9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. 28.27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Now, that's not even an exhaustive list from the book of Proverbs. Many other verses in Proverbs that talk about this, as well as the rest of Scripture. And listen, I know it's hard. It's hard in our culture to to really discern how to, how to best help. I mean, we see people in need, and we, we don't want to just you know, put money in their hands that they could possibly use to, to bring harm uh, to themselves through addictions uh, or, or whatnot. It, it can be agonizing. The safest place to begin in our giving really is through our local church. You know, every week, I mean, we have people uh, that uh, come here, and our, 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 the staff in our office... Uh, does such an amazing job of compassionately talking with people and really assessing, trying to discern what the need is and, and how we can best help. And your giving helps support that. And on top of that, people around the world who are in need are, are being blessed by missionaries that are supported by our church, including Martin and Carrie Chapel from our church. One of the main things that they do in their ministry to refugees in Bangkok is food deliveries. Um, and God has used those deliveries of food to open hearts so that the bread of life, you know, the gospel, can be shared with them. In fact, our, our mission team going to Thailand this summer will take part in that ministry. You know, the temptation is to say, well, you know, I don't want to be overly generous because, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to lack myself. But God says, you don't have to worry about that. God says, I'll take care of that. Jesus says, you, it will more than come back to you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We don't have to worry about being uh, outgiving God. He outgives us every time. But we see here a feast filled with grace. Second, scorning the feast. Look in your Bibles at verses 15 through 20. <clears throat> when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, even to our 21st century Western ears, these sound like lame excuses, right? All sound kind of fishy. Well, to first century Middle Eastern ears... These excuses were just comically ridiculous, just, just crazy. Now, just to kind of set the scene for this parable, okay, so you get the context. 
invitations to a banquet like this in the first century, they would have been RSVP. So the people in the story, these, these lame excuse makers, these are people who have already agreed to be there. They've already said, we're coming, count me in. And so what would happen, of course, you know, the, the, the host would, would, would base the amount of food and everything on the number of guests that were coming. And on the day of the great feast, you know, the, 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 the meat would be freshly prepared. Everything would be butchered that day um, in that culture and everything. All of these, these incredible preparations would take place um, throughout the day and even in the days leading up to that day. And when everything was ready, the master of the banquet would send out a servant. And he would go to those who had been invited and say, everything is ready. It's ready for you. Just come. But now comes this horrible twist. Because these people who have been invited, suddenly there come forth from their lips this series of of lame excuses. So we see that the, the first one says in verse 18, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Now look at the order here. He says, I've, I've bought the field and now I'm going out to inspect it. That would never happen in the first century Middle East. There, were too many, there was too much land that was unusable, arid, desert. No one in that culture, would ever buy a field without doing all kinds of inspections on the field. First, they would have to check the quality of the soil and how fruitful that field had been in the past, and if there was terracing on that field, what kind of condition was that, and on and on and on. They would do all kinds of inspections before purchasing a field like that. Um, but yet he says here, I've bought a field and now I must go out and, and see it. I mean, this would have struck the first century Middle Eastern hearers as just, uh, you know, completely ridiculous. Kenneth Bailey has written a wonderful book on biblical backgrounds called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. I, I commend it to you. Um, but Bailey says that a modern equivalent of this excuse, it would be, it would be like a, a husband calling his wife um, and saying, well, I, I'm not going to be home for dinner because you know, I purchased a house for us over the phone and having signed the contract, I'm going to drive across town and look at it. It's just crazy. It would have sounded crazy to first century Middle Eastern hearers. And then the second, another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Again, he's saying he's already bought the oxen. Now the examination is going to take place. That would never happen in that culture. Oxen were too important before you would purchase oxen. They depended on them for all kinds of things. You would, you would check on the age of the animals and the health of the animals and whether they would pull together in tandem. I mean, this excuse was just comically ridiculous. And then, verse 20, another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. You know, this would have just been unspeakably offensive. He doesn't even ask, he doesn't even say, excuse me. <laughs> just says, I'm not coming. You know, if you were to, again, Kenneth Bailey says that if you were to transfer this to our culture today, the equivalent of this would be if you planned this great event, you know, this great meal, this, this banquet, um, and, and you, uh, you, you invited three guests to come, 
this special, special evening. And you've made all the, you've, you've bought all these things. You've, you've spent all this time and sacrifice. And you've got everything together. And they come in and they're seated at the table. And the food is hot in the kitchen. And it's getting ready to be brought out. And one of them says, I've got to go mow the lawn. Eh. Another one says, I've got to feed the cat. Another says, ah, I've got bills on the desk that have to be paid. And the three of them walk right out the door. Just, just an outrage. Scorning the feast. Three, celebrating the feast. Verses 21 through 24. So, the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now, Jesus is going to give this story another unexpected turn because the hearers would have expected that at this point in the story, the master is just going to somehow vent his anger and get revenge on these lame excuse makers. But instead, the master rechannels his anger and does something absolutely stunning. He says, oh no, we're not going to cancel anything. He says to his servant, I want you to go back out and I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And so his servant goes out and he does that and he comes back to his master and he says, sir, I've, I've done it, but we still have room. You see, these people are so used to not being invited to something like this that an invitation would be perceived by some of them as just disingenuous. They're just trying to make more fun of me. Um, and so at first, some of them wouldn't come. And the master says to the servant, he says, I want you to go back out. And I want you to compel them to come. I don't care if you have to drag them by the arm and get them in here. I want you to get them in here that my house may be filled. What are we to get from this? First, Jesus caused the guests to become inviters. If we respond to this parable by simply saying, I'm glad he invited me. I'm glad I have a seat at the table. That's only partly right. That's only partly how we should respond. Yes, we should say that. But the corollary to being on the receiving end of amazing grace and being invited ourselves is to extend His grace to others and invite others to come. 
Jesus said, freely you have received. Freely give. Teddy Roosevelt was one of our greatest presidents enshrined, of course, on Mount Rushmore. And just in studying a little bit about Teddy Roosevelt's life, so incredibly inspired by the example of his father. He had a godly dad, generous dad. Um, the Roosevelts were wealthy citizens of New York City. And Teddy Roosevelt's father, Theodore Roosevelt Sr., uh, became very burdened about the condition of people that he saw all around him. And not only was he very generous himself, but he recruited many of his wealthy friends to join him. And one night, he invited many of his wealthy friends to this dinner. And um, they came in, and they were all in sort of an, an outer room, a reception room. And when the time came for the, the meal, Theodore Roosevelt opened the door to the dining room. And there, sitting around this massive, beautiful, rosewood dining table were scores of maimed and crippled children. And there just was a collective gasp on the part of his friends. And Theodore Roosevelt Sr. looked at his friends and he said, we can help them and more like them. And many, many philanthropic efforts came from that. But you know, it's, it's, it's not just the people that are economically hurting. We live in a world that is broken. A world full of hurting, broken people. Every day, every day, the people that you lock eyes on they're carrying burdens that you, you know nothing about. You can't imagine the stuff that's going on in people's lives. The pain and the hurt that is there. And God calls us to be his agents of grace in the lives of others. And listen, it may begin just with the, I mean, just incredibly simple things. The other day I was... Uh, getting gas at a convenience station and and uh you know sometimes uh, uh when your tank gets filled up and the gas will uh, sputter out on the uh the car and so I was I, there wasn't anything outside for me to wipe the gas off the car with and so I just went inside of this convenience station there's a lady working there behind the counter and, and you know you could tell she's lived a hard life um and uh yeah I, I didn't even Think about it, but I mean, I, I just, I just said, man, um, do you have like a paper towel or something, you know, that I that I could use? And uh, she said, uh, yeah, what is this okay? And she handed me something. I said, oh yes, man, that's great. Thank you so much. And it was nothing. I didn't even think about it. But the way, the way I I could see in her eyes that the way I treated her had touched something within her. I could tell that. She wasn't used to being spoken to. 
with that kind of respect or kindness or um and I, I could just tell it 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 had touched something within her. I mean man, that was nothing. But there's situations like that all the time. I mean, where just something as simple as as kindness can often open a door. I mean, there are situations that we have every day where if we would stop long enough, stop our agenda and our life long enough just to listen to people and be sensitive to the needs of people. It could be used in all kinds of ways. You know, it moves to acts of unexpected kindness and generosity toward others, acts in which you don't expect to be repaid. It's a willingness to speak words of life to people. I found that in personal evangelism, in witnessing to people, that if I simply think of that as an overflow of loving people, of helping people, that sharing the gospel is so much more natural. You know, if we just think of it as helping people, as loving people, I found that, that speaking the gospel is something that happens at the right time and in the right way. Jesus calls the guests to become inviters. Second, Jesus calls us to get caught up in his big story. Now, we've been talking about this around here a lot, and that is, rather than thinking of the Christian life as us inviting Christ to play a role in our lives, think of the Christian life as God inviting us to get caught up in something that is much, much bigger than us. Instead of saying, Jesus, you can have a role in my story, Jesus says, I want you to get caught up in a bigger story my story. That's what's happening in this parable. Jesus is steeped in the Old Testament. When Jesus begins to talk about a great banquet, you can better believe that in his mind, he's drawing from a well that went deep, deep into the Old Testament. You know, hundreds of years before the prophet Isaiah had said this in Isaiah 25, 6. This is on the mind of Jesus as he tells us. You can better believe it. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is a prophecy about the coming of Messiah. It's about the coming of the Messiah. God says this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be like a feast. And who's invited to the feast? All peoples. All peoples. The outcast. 
the people who were not usually invited to anything. All peoples. Gentiles. The nations. What does he say here? He says he'll swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Oh yeah, it's going to be people from every tribe and tongue that are going to be at this great banquet. Now what had happened through the years is that Israel, instead of, instead of understanding you know, that this is our mission to be a, a light to the Gentiles and gather people for this feast, the Gentiles, the outcasts, they had become like the, the, the enemy. We have to be very careful that doesn't happen in the culture that we're living in today because sometimes um, it's, it's easy almost subconsciously for us to think about people who don't share our faith and our values as uh, they're they're the enemy. But they're not the enemy. (laughs) They're in the clutches of the enemy. And we are called upon to be part of a drama of redemption, redeeming people because we could be lost there, but for the grace of God go I. It could be us. And so God calls us to be agents of redemption. This is, a, this is a bigger story. I mean, this story goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible, to Genesis, when God calls Abraham, and he's forming Israel through Abraham, and he says, through you, what? All the families on the earth are going to be blessed. Every people group, every tribe and tongue, they're all going to be blessed. And it's a story that winds its way all through the Bible to the last book of the Bible where you see the great marriage supper of the Lamb, where the Lamb who was slain for us and who rose again is the host at this banquet. And those who follow him from all tribes and tongues, all peoples, will have a seat at the table If you're not a Christian, he's calling upon you to respond to your invitation to be there and to stop making up lame excuses. And if you are a Christian, the question is, who are you inviting to join you? Who are you reaching out to to join you there? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace in giving your son. We thank you for the invitation that you have extended to us that Jesus has made possible. We pray that you would help us to not only respond to the invitation, but become extenders of the invitation to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about coming to the table, about being a part of his family, say, I want to know him. I want to respond. I am responding.
in just a moment we're going to stand and sing we want to invite you to come and we want to just minister to you and help you begin in your walk with Christ if you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family as we do this together we want to invite you to come there's a need in your life for prayer there are people here who would love to minister to you let's stand together as we sing I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.